Part four of chapter fifteen Pilot's Handbook. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Michael Early, Brisbane, Australia. Pilot's Handbook of Aeronautical Knowledge. Part four of chapter fifteen by the FAA. Flight Planning. Title 14 of the Code of Federal Regulations, 14 CFR, Part 91 states, in part, that before beginning a flight, the pilot in command, PIC, of an aircraft, shall become familiar with all available information concerning that flight. For flights not in the vicinity of an airport, this must include information on available current weather reports and forecasts, fuel requirements, alternatives available if the planned flight cannot be completed, and any known traffic delays of which the pilot in command has been advised by ATC. Assembling Necessary Material The pilot should collect the necessary material well before the flight. An appropriate current sectional chart and charts for areas adjoining the flight route should be among this material if the route of flight is near the border of a chart. Additional equipment should include a flight computer or electronic calculator, plotter, and any other item appropriate to the particular flight. For example, if a night flight is to be undertaken, carry a flashlight. If a flight is over desert country, carry a supply of water and other necessities. Weather check. It is wise to check the weather before continuing with other aspects of flight planning to see, first of all, if the flight is feasible, and, if it is, which route is best. Chapter 12, Aviation Weather Services, discusses obtaining a weather briefing. Use of Airport or Facility Directory, AFD. Study available information about each airport at which a landing is intended. This should include a study of the notices to airmen, NOTAMs, and the AFD, figure 15-24. This includes location, elevation, runway, and lighting facilities, available services, availability of aeronautical advisory station frequency, UNICOM, types of fuel available, used to decide on refueling stops, AFSS, FSS, located on the airport, control tower, and ground control frequencies, traffic information, remarks, and other pertinent information. The NOTAMs, issued every 28 days, should be checked for additional information on hazardous condition or changes that have been made since issuance of the AFD. The sectional chart bulletin subsection should be checked for major changes that have occurred since the last publication date of each sectional chart being used. Remember the chart may be up to six months old. The effective date of the chart appears at the top of the front of the chart. The AFD generally has the latest information pertaining to such matters and should be used in preference to the information on the back of the chart if there are differences. Airplane Flight Manual or Pilot's Operating Handbook, AFM-POH. The Aircraft Flight Manual or Pilot's Operating Handbook, AFM-POH, should be checked 
to determine the proper loading of the aircraft, weight and balance data. The weight of the usable fuel and drainable oil aboard must be known. Also, check the weight of the passengers, the weight of all baggage to be carried, and the empty weight of the aircraft, to be sure that the total weight does not exceed the maximum allowable. The distribution of the load must be known to tell if the resulting centre of gravity, CG, is within limits. Be sure to use the latest weight and balance information in the FAA-approved AFM or other permanent aircraft records, as appropriate, to obtain empty weight and empty weight CG information. Determine the takeoff and landing distances from the appropriate charts based on the calculated load, elevation of the airport, and temperature. Then compare these distances with the amount of runway available. Remember, the heavier the load and higher the elevation, temperature, or humidity, the longer the takeoff roll and landing roll, and the lower the rate of climb. Check the fuel consumption charts to determine the rate of fuel consumption at the estimated flight altitude and power settings. Calculate the rate of fuel consumption and then compare it with the estimated time for the flight so that refueling points along the route can be included in the plan. Charting the course. Once the weather has been checked and some preliminary planning done, it is time to chart the course and determine the data needed to accomplish the flight. The following sections provide a logical sequence to follow in charting the course, filling out a flight log, and filing a flight plan. In the following example, a trip is planned based on the following data and the sectional chart excerpt in figure 15-25. Route of flight, Chickasha Airport, direct to Guthrie Airport. True airspeed, TAS, 115 knots. Winds aloft, 360 degrees at 10 knots. Usable fuel, 38 gallons. Fuel rate, 8 gallons per hour. Deviation, plus 2 degrees. Steps in charting the course. The following is a suggested sequence for arriving at the pertinent information for the trip. As information is determined, it may be noted as illustrated in the example of a flight log in figure 15-26. Errata. Figure 15-26, Pilot's Planning Sheet. Change the column label above 7 degrees east from WCA R plus L minus to MAG VAR W plus E minus. Errata, figure 15-26, show an additional column labelled altitude on both the pilot's planning sheet and the visual flight log. Where calculations are required, the pilot may use a mathematical formula or a manual or electronic flight computer. If unfamiliar with the use of a manual or electronic computer, it would be advantageous to read the operation manual and work several practice problems at this point. First, draw a line from Chickasha Airport, point A, directly to Guthrie Airport, point F. The course line should begin at the centre of the airport of departure and end at the centre of the destination airport. If the route is direct, 
the course line consists of a single straight line. If the route is not direct, it consists of two or more straight line segments. For example, a VOR station which is off the direct route, but which makes navigating easier, may be chosen. Radio navigation is discussed later in this chapter. Appropriate checkpoints should be selected along the route and noted in some way. These should be easy to locate points such as large towns, large lakes and rivers, or combinations of recognisable points such as towns with an airport, towns with a network of highways, and railroads entering and departing. Normally, choose only towns indicated by splashes of yellow on the chart. Do not choose towns represented by a small circle. These may turn out to be only a half dozen houses. In isolated areas, however, towns represented by a small circle can be prominent checkpoints. For this trip, four checkpoints have been selected. Checkpoint 1 consists of a tower located east of the course and can be further identified by the highway and railroad track, which almost parallels the course at this point. Checkpoint 2 is the obstruction just to the west of the course and can be further identified by Will Rogers World Airport, which is directly to the east. Checkpoint 3 is Wiley Post Airport which the aircraft should fly directly over. Checkpoint 4 is a private, non-surfaced airport to the west of the course and can be further identified by the railroad track and highway to the east of the course. The course and areas on either side of the planned route should be checked to determine if there is any type of airspace with which the pilot should be concerned or which has special operational requirements. For this trip, it should be noted that the course passes through a segment of the Class C airspace surrounding Will Rogers World Airport, where the floor of the airspace is 2,500 feet mean sea level, MSL, and the ceiling is 5,300 feet, MSL, point B. Also, there is Class D airspace from the surface to 3,800 feet, MSL, surrounding Wiley Post Airport, point C during the time the control tower is in operation. Study the terrain and obstructions along the route. This is necessary to determine the highest and lowest elevations, as well as the highest obstruction to be encountered, so that an appropriate altitude which conforms to 14 CFR Part 91 regulations can be selected. If the flight is to be flown at an altitude more than 3,000 feet above the terrain, conformance to the cruising altitude appropriate to the direction of flight is required. Check the route for particularly rugged terrain so it can be avoided. Areas where a takeoff or landing is made should be carefully checked for tall obstructions. Television transmitting towers may extend to altitudes over 1,500 feet above the surrounding terrain. It is essential that pilots be aware of their presence and location. For this trip, it should be noted that the tallest obstruction is part of a series of antennas with a height of 2,749 feet MSL, point D. The highest elevation should be located in the northeast quadrant and is 2,900 feet MSL, point E. Since the wind is no factor and it is desirable and within the aircraft's capability to fly above the Class C and D airspace to be encountered, an altitude of 5,500 feet MSL is chosen. This altitude also gives adequate clearance of all obstructions 
as well as conforms to the 14 CFR Part 91 requirement, to fly at an altitude of odd thousand plus 500 feet when on a magnetic course between 0 and 179 degrees. Next, the pilot should measure the total distance of the course as well as the distance between checkpoints. The total distance is 53 nautical miles, and the distance between checkpoints is as noted on the flight log in figure 15-26. After determining the distance, the true course should be measured. If using a plotter, follow the directions on the plotter. The true course is 031 degrees. Once the true heading is established, the pilot can determine the compass heading. This is done by the following formula given earlier in this chapter. The formula is TC plus or minus WCA equals TH plus or minus V equals MH plus or minus D equals CH. The WCA can be determined by using a manual or electronic flight computer. Using a wind of 360 degrees at 10 knots, it is determined that the WCA is 3 degrees left. This is subtracted from the TC, making the TH 28 degrees. Next, the pilot should locate the isogonic line closest to the root of the flight to determine variation. Figure 15-25 shows the variation to be 6.30 degrees east, rounded to 7 degrees east, which means it should be subtracted from the TH, giving an MH of 21 degrees. Next, add 2 degrees to the MH for the deviation correction. This gives the pilot the compass heading, which is 23 degrees. Now, the GS can be determined. This is done using a manual or electronic calculator. The GS is determined to be 106 knots. Based on this information, the total trip time, as well as time between checkpoints, and the fuel burned can be determined. These calculations can be done mathematically or by using a manual or electronic calculator. For this trip, the GS is 106 knots and the total time is 35 minutes. 30 minutes plus 5 minutes for climb, with a fuel burn of 4.7 gallons. Refer to the flight log in figure 15-26 for the time between checkpoints. As the trip progresses, the pilot can note headings and time and make adjustments in headings, GS and time. Filing a VFR flight plan. Filing a flight plan is not required by regulations. However, it is a good operating practice since the information contained in the flight plan can be used in search and rescue in the event of an emergency. Flight plans can be filed in the air by radio, but it is best to file a flight plan by phone just before departing. After takeoff, contact the AFSS by radio and give them the takeoff time so the flight plan can be activated. When a VFR flight plan is filed, it is held by the AFSS until one hour after the proposed departure time, and then cancelled unless the actual departure time is received, a revised proposed departure time is received, or at the time of filing the AFSS is informed that the proposed departure time is met but actual time cannot be given because of inadequate communication. The FSS specialist who accepts the flight plan does not inform the pilot of this procedure, however. 
Figure 15-27 shows the flight plan form a pilot files with the AFSS. When filing a flight plan by telephone or radio, give the information in the order of the numbered spaces. This enables the AFSS specialist to copy the information more efficiently. Most of the fields are either self-explanatory or non-applicable to the VFR flight plan, such as item 13. However, some fields may need explanation. Item 3 is the aircraft type and special equipment. An example would be C-150X, which means the aircraft has no transponder. A listing of special equipment codes is found in the Aeronautical Information Manual, AIM. Item 6 is the proposed departure time in UTC, indicated by the Z. Item 7 is the cruising altitude. Normally, VFR can be entered in this block, since the pilot chooses a cruising altitude to conform to FAA regulations. Item 8 is the route of flight. If the flight is to be direct, enter the word direct. If not, enter the actual route to be followed, such as via certain towns or navigation aids. Item 10 is the estimated time en route. In the sample flight plan, 5 minutes was added to the total time to allow for the climb. Item 12 is the fuel on board in hours and minutes. This is determined by dividing the total usable fuel aboard in gallons by the estimated rate of fuel consumption in gallons. Remember, there is every advantage in filing a flight plan, but do not forget to close the flight plan on arrival. Do this by telephone to avoid radio congestion. End of part 4 of chapter 15. Recording by Michael Early, Brisbane, Australia.